Hi, I'm Julia Adolph, and welcome to Loose Leaf Notebook, where we will explore the connection between creativity and mental health, nurturing artistry, emotional intelligence, and self-care. I'm a composer, and I will be sharing my own personal creative process and journey towards mental health, as well as inviting other artists and creative individuals to share their own inspiring stories with you. Today I am joined by co-hosts of the Triloquy podcast, Garrett McQueen and Scott Blankenship. Triloquy was hailed by the New York Times as thrilling, open-minded, and required listening for industry leaders and listeners alike. Today, Garrett, Scott, and I discuss their personal experiences with depression, medication, therapy, cannabis, addiction, and creativity. We also touch on Garrett's controversial termination from NPR, and how the two of them navigated that professional and personal crisis and were able to continue their work on Triloquy, which was originally owned by NPR. Hi, hello. Good afternoon. Hey there, <laughs> great to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for being here. I've been a fan of Triloquy for the past year. Oh, thank so. you. I always get nervous on this side of it. Being interviewed, I, I really get the jitters. Really? <laughs> No, I know what you mean, and I've also heard you turn uh, flip the script. I've heard you start to interview the person interviewing you. <laughs> I think it's I think it's those nerves that force me to do that, being uncomfortable being on that side of it. But mm, but probably. you're you have the reins today, Julia. Oh, thanks. Well, you you know you are the foremost expert on you, so well, shouldn't be that I hard. Suppose so. I suppose so, me or my mother. One of the things that I love most about Triloquy is how open and honest you both are about pretty much everything you discuss. And I learned the word trill from your from your uh, podcast. <laughs> I think that intimacy and that openness is a, a really important part of it. So how do you create that safe space for each other? Neither one of us really lays out any judgment on the other. You know, it, it, it's... When you talk about giving space, it's quite literally just letting the other person say their piece. And I think that that is a, a great way to show other people that an, a middle-aged white guy and uh, a millennial black man can have great conversation, can meet in the middle and still differ on some ideas. So I want to talk, dive into talking about mental health. Garrett, I'd love to hear kind of how do you balance sort of projecting power and confidence in, in, you know, and confidence in your own ability, as well as, you know, staying trill, being real, being vulnerable, because I feel like I just know as, as a woman in classical music, I feel like it's it can be a very tricky tightrope walk when you're... Um, trying to navigate a system that's built on white supremacy. So I'm curious sort of how you do that dance and um, how that <laughs> impacts your mental health. I have to say that that question almost chokes me up because, you know, when Scott started to, talking to me about, you know, the confidence I exude and that sort of thing, you, you use the word power. It's all rooted for me in, uh, I guess a necessity to live and the feeling of a of a right to exist. So um, I, I've, I'm often embarrassed some of the things that people ask me to do because of my work, you know, the different talks at these universities and things, because 
oftentimes I just don't feel like this, you know, genius that people uh, paint me out to be. We can talk about imposter syndrome, but at the end of the day, I I have two degrees in bassoon, just like everyone else has multiple degrees in in their instrument. It's the the different thing is that you know my, the access I had and the access that I didn't have, the things that I had to do throughout my journey just um, required a sense of um, again, I use that word necessity. I'm thinking back to my time in grad school, you know, and I was in Los Angeles at that point. There was no room for me to fall. There was no one out there to pick me up if if things went left. So I just had to. I just had to figure it out. I had to do it. So I feel like that's more when when you say power and confidence, that's really uh, more of what it is. Now, when it comes to, you know, doing that dance of respectability, I hope, you know, every day to shed myself of a little more of that because when we talk about code switch and when we talk about um, inclusivity and all, and all of those um, hit words, we all have the right to exist in our respective spaces the way we are, especially if we're qualified for the work. I'm rooted in that. I'm rooted, I'm rooted in my right to be. I, I think that's what it all boils down to. So it comes from a, from a place of survival. Oh yeah, that is a, that that is a strong word, but one that I definitely agree with. It definitely comes from a a place of survival. I mean, th think about this past year. Yeah. Think about some of the things that we have had to learn to do for I the sake of survival. Thanks. There, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but th but there are so many people who all of a sudden, you know, um, know how to record audio and put it together from three different places, like we are right now. You know, I, I think we we are, we all have felt that this past year. I think that's a, a, a modicum of what so many of us have felt every day of, of our journeys. Right. And Scott, you know, you've spoken about, especially I listened to your 100th episode. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and you were talking about how in podcasting, unlike in radio, there's sort of more room to be vulnerable and to make mistakes and how you're kind of learning to lean into that. So I'm curious to sort of, as you know, the the counterbalance to Garrett, um, or I don't know if you guys see yourselves as yin yangs or what the <laughs> what the metaphor is. Ebony and Ivory. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know how do how do you sort of um, how have you learned to lean into kind of being more vulnerable on your podcast? The hit word that I want to use is normalization, and for me, the easiest way to help normalize some of these ideas is just speak about them plainly. I really try to um, share the fact that I deal with depression from time to time, but sometimes it's debilitating. Bringing that to the podcast I think is important because I believe that there are a lot of people like me who grew up in a um, fairly conservative household where depression wasn't talked about or any mental health issue wasn't talked about. And if you did, it was looked at as some sort of a weakness. Right. And so I think that talking about it plainly um, not only helps me work through a few ideas, but hopefully other people will see that it's cool. You know, you can, you can talk about this. It doesn't mean that you're less. Yes, and Garrett, you've been sharing a little bit more on your Instagram um, just about your own experience. I had done therapy before, not as intensely um, as I have been since I moved to Minnesota. Scott, and I, I would love for Scott to back me up on this. When you have an overnight job and you have to shift your life 
in that way, like just live like a vampire, as I used to say, there there are consequences to that, like your physical body and even your mental state of being, you know? So in response to, to that, that's when I really started therapy. As, as, as things have gotten more difficult for me, especially in these past couple months, um, one of the suggestions um, that I have been given is to just live more of myself more openly. So being more open about uh, therapy has been a part of it. But but Scott, I, I don't want to gloss over what um, working an overnight gig will do to you. I, please back me up there. 11 and a half years I did that. And um, man, I've lost friendships. I uh, ruined relationships with girlfriends. Um, I, there was one point where I was taking a pill when I needed to wake up to be to interact with people and then want to sleep to get back on the overnight schedule. So I was in I, I felt like I had jet lag twice twice a week. Was this know? at the radio station? Yeah, it gives you a sense of dislocation of of uh, disconnection that really messes with your mind. You know, it start it, it makes you go to some dark places if you let it. Completely. And and look, I, I want to make it clear that this isn't a this isn't, you know, Scott and I pushing against, you know, this specific overnight shift. It is sure. Scott and I pushing against overnight work. When we talk about uh, mental health, we have to talk about what our bodies to an extent were meant to do. And living like a vampire is not one of those things. And shout out for the to the people who like that, who you know, who yeah. who can do it. Yeah. So were you able to talk to each other about some of your own mental health struggles? Like I mentioned before, I grew up mm. in a spot where you really didn't share a whole lot of mm -hmm. your your personal thoughts. And even though I haven't shared everything dark and gloomy about myself with Garrett uh he does know the the most out of everybody that I know here in the Twin Cities Garrett knows the most about me mm -hmm. so sorry man <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no I was gonna say I guess that means you better be careful <laughs> yeah yeah Garrett Garrett knows where all the money is where all the body I'm where joking. all the bodies are Garrett Garrett knows all of it in general and, and I'll be completely open about this. Mornings are rough for me. When I, when I wake up in the morning, on my best days, it's, okay, here we go. And on my worst days, it's just hard to pull myself up. So, you know, one of the things I do uh, more mornings than not is just put my earbuds in and um, start with a random song and just sort of let the algorithms of the internet or whatever just kind of go and go. And uh, more often than not, you know, something that comes up really hits and speaks to that moment. So just, and, and I'm a pacer. I, I don't know if that's healthy or not, but I spend, you know, all my mornings, maybe the first hour, hour and a half, um, just sort of pacing the floors and listening to music. Um, uh, sometimes I have a joint in my hand and, you know, just getting into some music and just really living inside of that thing that I love so much is just sort of, the push that I need a really incredible performance of something and I'm talking about all genres of music will really get my mind going down a path that usually leads me to you know sketching something down for the podcast so you find the creative but, act I mean, but, therapeutic right right and and 
and Scott, I was, uh, you know, hoping that you would speak to that as well. Part of my depressive response to everything is to try to get away from stimulus. So I haven't been doing things like Garrett. You know, I haven't been trying to figure out a chord progression of a song or, or something like that. My tendency is to laze. Mm-hmm. you know, to to just lay on the couch and not do anything. So I've been trying to bust out of that. And another thing, Garrett, that I've been trying to bust out of, you said that you let the algorithm take you whatever path the music yeah. goes, right? See, for me to get comfort, I've got to go with what I know. I, I got to find the stuff that I like. So I'm hitting the Steely Dan and the Van Morrison and uh, all the Yacht Rock that was on the radio when I was like eight. You know, and that and that's what makes me feel like it's going to be okay. And so, you know, that's escapism, right? Well, not necessarily. I mean, it's if you're comforting yourself and you're returning to music that brought you joy in the past. I mean, I, I think that could be a healthy thing. Or does it feel like escapism to you? But it, it, it certainly doesn't do anything to widen my my palate, my, you know, to um find out more about like say what Garrett and Dell are listening to or uh, to find out um, new things that I may actually like you know I'm, I feel like maybe that's limiting in a way but is that know. your goal in in that moment I, I don't know I don't know if this pertains to the question or not I think I <laughs> no, I'm curious um, I have discovered that there is uh, a way to sort of um, pull yourself out of a funk by a new discovery you know, I'm thinking about Garrett. That one time I talked about that piece by Judd Greenstein that mm-hmm. brought me out of a funk. Yeah. You know, so I'm yeah. trying to do more of that. Is what I'm saying. So, what outside of music do you use to kind of help you care for your mental health or or stay centered? Sounds like cannabis is one of them. I was gonna say I'm gonna keep it real. <laughs> if it weren't for cannabis, life would be a lot harder. I smoke weed most days, um, and and that helps. Have um, in addition to that, um, because uh, again, the first couple years uh, that I lived here was as a vampire. I really enjoy going outside and seeing the sunshine when that is the thing. Uh, Dell and I are fortunate enough to live about a block from this overlook, and we have the um, the skyline of downtown St. Paul. You know, on this park, uh, on this park bench where we go, and yeah, um, more often than not, we have a joint with us. But I think just you know, living life. I know Scott understands exactly what I mean, but just feeling like that you exist as a part of society is a is a big part of of my thing. Dell and I will go do a couple laps at the mall, even if we don't buy anything. Just you know, I I I'm still at the point where I need to feel like I am a part of of society and not just mm-hmm. someone you know, who's in my own little box, I'm in my own little lane. When I, when I was talking about those uh, pills that I was taking to wake up, to go to sleep, uh, I had terrible reactions to them. And so that's when I, you know, to get sleep, cannabis was um, the, the perfect, you know, I woke up not with no fog. Right. You know, that was um, my primary reason to have it. And it also would help inspire me when I was uh, playing music. And some of the best things that I've ever written were after smoking. Mm -hmm. But I also have to say that um, 
I have to, I, I know that in my family, there is a tendency for addiction. Okay. And, and I keep an eye on that. You know, I really mm. make sure that it, it doesn't become excessive. I know this about myself that if I have a cup of coffee and smoke while I'm having that coffee, well, then that's what I'm doing that day. I think it's important to, uh, to differentiate cannabis as a means versus um, cannabis as a sort of fix. So I, I never spark up to change my mood. I'm never just in this stressful thing and, and going to grab a I, I smoked cigarettes for like 10 years. I've, yeah. I've, I haven't smoked a cigarette in close, a little over three years now, you know. So I, I don't want cannabis to be that. But, you know, as Scott was saying, it definitely helps things flow a little bit. As I sometimes say, it, it puts me in italics a little bit. Um, <laughs> now, the the answer that I wish I could give you when it comes to, um, you know, ways outside of music to sort of, you know, cope and get through the day to day is some sort of fitness. I think there's a little more of us, uh, a little more to many of us to love since COVID. Um, I, <laughs> I, I hope that in the coming weeks that is um that that becomes more of a thing scott are you in therapy or have you like explored therapy for depression or is it something you've handled on your own i have in the i have in the past uh when i first sought out therapy for depression it was after a breakup of nearly three year relationship Mm -hmm. and and i think that that was the catalyst for me to start dealing with a couple of other things so Again, it was like a confluence of several different issues that surfaced at the same time. I went to half a dozen sessions because that's what insurance would pay for. And I didn't have the money to continue. Of course. So I think that that mental health needs to be a a bigger part of our uh, any benefit package that you can get from a company. So is it something Um, you want to do? If you could, oh, I think I could definitely benefit. Okay, <laughs> but um, it was a number of years ago. I was having uh, issues with sleep, lost a lot of weight, and uh, always dealing with uh, acid stomach. You know, like a um, almost yeah. like mm-hmm. an ulcer. And I went and told my doctor about it, and and um, she said, "Well, have you thought about taking a serotonin reuptake?" whatever uh, yeah one of those SSRI yeah and I said yeah I tried that I had every side effect I'm not interested in going down that road again I can't handle it and she says well I tell you what why don't we give you something to help you sleep if we give you something to help you sleep then maybe your your diet will get back lined up and we'll and you know everything will get back into place she says you come back in six weeks and talk to me about it and I came back and walked in the office and was like, hey, doc, how's it going? What's up? <laughs> how, how you, feel? you know, and uh, she gave me like a Wellbutrin, <laughs> you know, okay. some, yeah, some really low grade um, antidepressant. Right. And just didn't really make it clear that that's what she was giving me. She told me <laughs> she, she was she told me she was giving me a, a, a sleeping pill, you know, and, and so I take that. Okay. And again, here we go. Normalizing it again that, you know, I had issues, but once I got past the issue, it's something that helps. Yeah. I mean, I tried about four different SSRIs because the first three I had terrible reactions. I was very resistant to trying medication, Um, but it became clear I had to do it. And it was a long 
haul. It took me about a year and a half to find the medication that I'm on now. Man. And then even then there's, you know, you go up and down and you try different things. So I know that I promised not to, to flip the interview and that's not what I'm trying to do. But I wonder if you could speak to your resistance to take medication, because that's, that's one of my struggles and, and one that I'm even um, uh, going through now, maybe, I don't know, maybe a year of uh, 14 months ago, um, you know, I had a doctor, uh, you know, suggest that I that I take something and I just didn't want to. For me, I, I think all the way back to my days in undergrad, when folks were uh, taking beta blockers before their juries and that that whole thing just seemed weird to me. And and ever since, you know, taking a pill for my mood has, I don't know, just seemed a little scary. Sure. I mean, it's funny that you ask that because I used to feel the same way about marijuana that, you know, that oh, okay. was scary to me. You know, yeah. the idea that a, a drug could alter my mood. Part of the anxiety is not liking giving up control, right? You, you, you have the mm. illusion that you're in control and that if you were to lose control, you could be harmed in some way. And so the idea of a chemical in my body was scary to me. So that's kind of how I, how I used to feel about marijuana that like, or, or even mm -hmm. drinking. My fear with medication was similar, but mostly I think it was about the stigma, feeling like, oh, am I really this screwed up that I have to take medication? You exactly. know, that I, that was the hardest thing. And I think feeling like, well, couldn't I just do more therapy? Couldn't I just, you know, work out? Couldn't I just do yoga all day? You know, and, and that was the thing that kind of got me is I remember my doctor saying, if you just wanted to do yoga to take care of your anxiety, you would have to do yoga 24 seven. That's the thing of it. When you, when you talk about, you know, the, the doctor saying, you know, you would have to do uh, yoga 24 seven, that that's, you know, I think that's a part of my aversion because, you know, and I'm still going through this with my therapist, but I feel like when I'm really engaged, when I'm at the keyboard, when I'm behind the microphone, when I have an instrument in my hand, you know, I'm, I'm really in that world. The triggers are those neutral spaces, those, you know, not even driving in the car because I'm probably listening to something, but like I was speaking to earlier, waking up like that sort of space, or maybe there's an hour in the day that I don't have filled with something, you know, even, you know, Scott knows even uh, my time uh, at uh, NPR, I was working all of the time. I always found something to do, you know, all the way to the point to where a lot of people were, you know, talking to me about how rest is so uh, important, something that, you know, I try to get more into now. But it, yeah, it, it just seems like, um, and, and as I, I'll repeat myself, I'm still going through this uh, with my with my therapist, but because it seems like the empty spaces are the triggers, it doesn't seem like all the time a medication for 24 seven is necessary. And, you know, I, I'm, I, and I'm not a therapist. I hope no one listening to this, you know, takes that as me, you know, saying what anybody should think about medication. This is just me, you know, going through yeah. my thought process and, and, and what makes, what made sense to me. But, 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 but you're right. The, 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 uh, the issues have to go, you know, the, the illusion of being in control, I think, that was something really powerful that you said. So it's a it's a journey. It's it's definitely a journey. It's a, it's a journey for me right now. Are you saying that um, the spaces that are empty? You're saying when you're not doing anything that triggers what? 
it it triggers um you know my specific thoughts my my thoughts of of uh you know being without purpose or okay. um you know being inconsequential to the world you know like those those sorts of things if i'm not actively thinking about something or doing something or engaged with some sort of music it's that emptiness that's one of those triggers so does the cannabis kind of help you be okay with that kind of stillness or like a period of quiet? I think if anything, I think the cannabis pushes my mind towards something. So if I, okay. you know, if I light up a joint, I'm thinking about, I'm looking at my bassoon and thinking about what's the last thing I played or what I need, what I need to be practicing, you know, um, and, and that sort of thing. So, and that's what I was speaking to earlier, a means, you know, to something. I'm not sitting there on the couch smoking a joint dealing with, you know, my depression. I light a joint as a means to getting myself to something other than sitting on the couch and being depressed. I've talked to Scott about this, but the the idea that a medication, you know, might negatively impact the highs and lows that help produce my work and, and produce right. my content, yeah. especially the the live things that I do when I when I talk to the um, the the, uh, the college classes and, and that sort of thing. There's a sort of energy that I feel like I have to bring to that right there in the moment. And there's that fear, at least for me, of, you know, a medication dampening the depression, but dampening, you know, the things that I don't want changed at all. Right. That was my fear as well, that my medication was going to change my creative process. I mean, mm -hmm. I found that that wasn't the case, but I know it, it takes having the right therapist, having the right doctor, trying all the medicine if you want to. It, it doesn't happen quickly. And then there's the, the period of transition too, right? Like when you start, that was another thing for me, like when you start a medication, the first two months, can be really difficult of side effects and then they go away. So it's also about like, yeah, well, when yeah. is the right time? There's never a right time. But... Yeah, I mean, I'm, this is this is great. <laughs> no, this is very important for me to hear as I continue to, you know, go go through go through what I'm what I'm going through. Yeah. Well, I hope you feel good about your team helping you figure it out. I mean, that's something very important having having that team every day. Uh, you know, think about the things that I'm grateful for. Uh, there are so many people who went through COVID by themselves. I have a partner that I live with, you know, so I'm, I'm very grateful, you know, for to, to just have that, that presence. I'm grateful um, for folks like Scott who, you know, want to deal with my madness, especially when it comes to Triloquy and the places I try to go and, you know, all this, all those sorts of things. So yeah, having that community, having your folks, as we say, is, um, is key. Well, one thing, Julia, that we we talked about um, in our previous conversation was, you know, my my termination. That's yes. Um, that's that's been the uh, the biggest trigger uh, in my life these past you know nine months. Scott, I, I wonder if you could speak to being that uh, I don't know, being that buddy pass, being that person that's there. I'm sure sometimes you're frustrated with me, you know, saying certain things, but. It's, an, it's important for me to have that, <laughs> you know? That I get frustrated with you inside or outside of the podcast. Hey, either, either way. <laughs> <laughs> because you're in a weird position. And I think we have, I think we figured that out now, you know, how to traverse that. But, but those first five weeks were, you know, that was where we had to talk through some things. Truth. 
Yeah. Um, I remember um, really uh, having a lot of self-loathing <laughs> during, during that time for, 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 for not too many good reasons, but um, there were three different directions that I was getting assaulted from. No, there, there were three different directions that were pissed off at me for something and they were all different. So no matter what direction I moved, I was angering someone. There was um, folks that thought that I was a sellout and that I stayed with APM while Garrett was terminated. Oh, okay. Then there were people on the other side who, you know, heard what I was doing on the podcast and were calling me an apologist. I just had to own what I said with everyone, wait for things to boil down a little bit, and then try to uh, give a better idea of what the intent of some of the things that I said were. Whether or not that worked, I, I don't know, but um, that that was a, a uh, an unwinnable situation that I just had to ride out. The, the reason I don't like talking about my termination a lot is because I don't want it to be the, you know, the thesis of my story. I don't, I don't want mm -hmm. that to just always be my thing. At the same time, I just hope that people, you know, understand. And I mention it enough for people to understand that that headline is gone for a lot of people, but that reality is, you know, still very real. The, the feelings that people had when that was hot news, whether that's sorrow or anger or whatever, that that those feelings are still as pronounced for me because that's um, my my realities. I don't know. I'm we haven't quit yet, so <laughs> no. And that's why we're doing the we're still doing the podcast, even though um, we have some nerves sometime or we're or we're dealing with backlash because there is work still to be done, and and we need people at different levels doing what they can in right. the work and so that's what i had to retrain myself to think at in my in my job is that if if garrett is gone and not talking about these issues on the air well who who is so i have to be one of those voices i have right. to i have to do what i can where i can because i can't do what garrett does and you know be a, be a firebrand to you know i can't I, I would not be successful if I tried. It's not it. who you are. Exactly. So I, I'm having to do what I can, where I can. So let's tie this to mental health. Imagine a world where, where we all could be validated through this art form that we all love so much. You know, think about how that would positively impact the psyches of music students, you know, uh, leaving their families. And, you know, you're already under the pressure of, of culture shock being shipped off to these conservatories. What if you could be, you and your culture could be musically affirmed in those spaces? You know, let's go on uh, to the professional level. You know, let's talk about the mental health of the person who day in and days out, the orchestral musician who is playing music that they love and has a purpose and speaks to them, you know? So I know that there are many folks in many different ways doing everything they can to create that reality. The, uh, the way, one of the ways that Scott and I do that is uh, with our podcast, just, you know, uh, introducing the idea of the phrase classical music applying to so much more 
not only for the sake of itself, but for the sake of the people, for the sake of the musician, for the sake of the audiences. And I think it's, I don't think it's a stretch to uh, connect mental health with all of that. Affirmation of the whole person uh, through what we do. We don't see that in the field yet. We don't fully affirm all people in our field. We do not do that, but we're trying to create that, we're trying to create that reality. Right. I know um, I had Sydney Hobson come on Loose Leaf. Shout out to Sydney, yeah. Yeah, and he talked about how challenging it was to what he said was participate as an orchestral musician in a culture that was committed to his erasure and that that was incredibly taxing to his mental health. Is that something that you can relate to? Well, I mean, there has been a very public attempt to erase me, right? right? So I think, you know, I'm a living example of that. And, and you know, that's one of the things that just, you know, has helped me stay afloat and not completely just uh, jump off the, the deep end is being grateful to be that example. Uh, there's a real tendency uh, as you get higher up within a, in a field or in an organization to get siloed and um, not have a real good assessment of what's happening on the ground. And I think that people in positions of power with a lot of these arts organizations need to realize is the conversations that Garrett and I have, the conversations that Garrett has with the guests are happening, whether you want to hear them or not. Right. So you can acknowledge them and engage and maybe shift your paradigm a little bit, or or you can be um, spiraled out. You can um, become irrelevant, maybe. That's a danger. There are professionals like me, I've even found myself saying this phrase, who feel like we aren't white enough for the field. That is why we can't get in and there's, or stay in, in many cases. And that's why, you know, it's important to build your own and just forsake all right. of this or whatever. I really try to be that bridge. I, I, I believe that the future, uh, certainly for black folks is, is building our own things and cultivating our own things. I affirm everyone um, who is black and otherwise who wants to participate um, in the orchestras as they are in the operas in the in the radio and all of that stuff so we're just we're just trying to you know triloquy is, is straddling that fence in a way that i hope can just inspire the minds of enough people to to push us all forward because quite frankly when you turn the microphones off when you get off stage so many of these conversations are much more raw much more um directed and would be way more uncomfortable for people so we're just trying to give people a glimpse into that so that so they know that these things exist when we started i thought hey i'm a nice guy i'm not racist i don't have any supremacy <laughs> in my background or anything like that and then you start having the conversations and you go oh there's a blind spot and you know really um coming to grips with privilege nobody wants to admit that they have it and um it I can say it only gets easier once you do, you know, <laughs> and you, you start to, you start to um, unpack your own things. And right. uh, I think, it, I think it gives you um, more grace, more generosity with other people mm -hmm. that you give them a little bit more leeway maybe. Um, so I feel like I'm sort of that representative 
of uh, a possible uh, an <laughs> a, an ally an ally that's a possible accomplice who's who's yeah. doing sure. the work. Yeah. So how do you keep going in the face of of that kind of um, erasure every day? How do you kind of keep yourself motivated? Keeping myself rested. Uh, going through therapy, doing my pacing and listening to the music, everything that I have to do to, to keep myself together. But for me, I just have to go back to the audience. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about them. I'm, I'm thinking about offering, you know, something to the folks who want to learn, something to the folks who want to hear me spout off about something and, and, right. and everybody in between. Uh, to, uh, one, of, one of our good friends, friend of the show, uh, Oboist Titus Underwood. Uh, and you're in Nashville now, so I hope the two of you get together he would he would be uh great for this show some you know something that he repeats to me when we talk we talk a lot is that you can you know only give what you got so i'm i, I try to get as much as i can and you know i'm again i'm speaking to just keeping myself in line keeping my mental health together so that i can give um just the question how are you i've you know that has I, i've put some intentionality behind that these past I don't know, these past four or five months, um, one of the recommendations of, of my therapist, uh, something we talk about, I'll, I'll, I'll share here, is uh, how, um, how self-centered I can be if I don't keep myself checked. You know, so just, you know, giving a lot of the energy that I want to get and putting it back out. Sometimes you will be surprised at how much someone just needs to hear the question, how are you? You know, I think if we can just connect uh, create more of those networks and, you know, not be ashamed of um, saying what we're feeling and not feel awkward by hearing someone say what they're feeling. Just, you know, opening ourselves up more is, uh, is a means of creating those villages, those teams we were talking about. And it's, and, and as I said, it's an integral part to maintaining I, uh, positive mental health. Uh, I think the same thing, but I'm coming at it from the opposite direction, Garrett, in that you say that you feel like you get self-centered Mm -hmm. um, I, I have to wrestle with the idea that nobody wants to hear my bullshit. Mm. So, so I, I'm one of those ones that'll go, ah, fine. Okay. And that's why Triloquy works so well. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny because I mean, I'm sure that's kind of how partnerships work is you start to learn sometimes where your, um, your difficulties actually are fit for each other. And that can be really hard just in, you know, personal relationship, understanding, okay, well, maybe I, I need to actually talk about myself more and you need to talk about yourself less or whatever, you know, whatever it, it may be. But sometimes it's like, um, like a dance for two, right? The, the relationship issues can, can work that way. Yeah. You know, a, a promise that I made to Scott before we even recorded the first episode was that if I have triloquy in one hand and our friendship in the other hand and i have to throw one away i'm i just have to throw away triloquy so yeah. you know at, at the at the end of the day you know that is what we maintain and i think that's why you know we have had the sex success that we have had and why you know the the show works and the other work that we do works is because it's it's genuine when we talk specifically about dei i feel like the relationship part of it is missing in so much of what people are doing the relationship is central to what we do and i think that's why it works right you wouldn't throw triloquy away though you would just have well to i would get just another co-host you would have to just <laughs> yeah but the point but the point is it will never be 
you know, one of us picking up our toys and walking away, and that's right. just it because you know. That's, right, and I'm that, and I'm over here sort of it. tensing my fingers like, oh, okay, <laughs> I have outsized power all of a sudden. And you have each other too. Oh. <laughs> And Scott has radar. We we definitely have to give a shout out to radar if we're talking about mental health and comfort. Yeah, that's and all true. That. Who's that's radar? True. <laughs> radar is the uh, oh <laughs> mascot. He's he just he just always is on hand when I'm recording. <laughs> you know, he's um, that's his usual spot when I'm on zooms or doing interviews. And whenever we record, he comes along and sits underneath the table there over at Garrett's place. Yeah, radar, radar is a, a silent partner. <laughs> it's very important. Yeah. Most most of the time. Most of the time he's silent. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both so much for being here and talking with me today. Sure. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, thank you for uh, asking us on. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah, where can listeners find you if they want to? Well, you can uh, check out and donate to Triloquy at Triloquy.org, T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y dot O-R-G. You can also check us out um, wherever you listen to podcasts. Triloquy is really a special model for how contemporary musicians and composers and classical music lovers can talk about music in a way that's more open and honest. And it really is a wonderful example of the podcast medium that I hope to emulate. I think Garrett and Scott are also a wonderful model for a real partnership and what it really means to work with your friends, which can be incredibly difficult and pose multiple challenges. So thank you, Garrett and Scott, for sharing how you care for your own mental health as well as how you care for each other. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Loose Leaf Notebook. I'm Julia Adolph, and the music you are hearing is my orchestral work, Dark Sand Sifting Light, performed by the New York Philharmonic with Alan Gilbert conducting. If you'd like to hear some more of my music, you can visit my website at juliaadolph.com or my YouTube channel, which also has video versions of all of these podcasts. Thanks again. <laughs>